0: I was born in Puerto Rico, grew up in New York City, very Hispanic family. We lived in a Jewish neighborhood, but the moment you walked into our house, you were in Puerto Rico. We had Spanish television, Spanish radio. We had, um, uh, everything was in Spanish. My parents refused to speak to me in any other language than the language of heaven. Spanish. (laughs) Our culture lived within the walls of our apartment in an Orthodox, like I mentioned, Orthodox Jewish neighborhood. And uh, while I was always surrounded uh, during the weekdays and so forth uh, with, uh, with Jewish people, and little old ladies who would ruffle my hair and say things like, uh, such a nice boy, you'd think he was Jewish. <laughs> and, 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 and all of that was in the midst of a lot of things that were happening in our family. Uh, there would, be, there would pe- be people who we loved and knew who would who would pass away and we would have funerals for them. Uh, sometimes someone would pass away in Puerto Rico and we would make a trip specially over there uh, to be with them at that funeral. And of course, in different cultures, there are uh, different ways of grieving. Some are more inter- uh, internalize it. All of them grieve, but some internalize it more than others. And then others just let it, lose and that's my culture uh, they, they just go at it and, and, and there are, are times that it gets so embarrassing because, because you know you have, you have a grieving uh, son or, or a wife and, and they're, they're trying to just sort of pick up the body and stuff like that and, and well the body doesn't do anything in response it's dead. There's no, there's no response to any of the commotion around the body. In fact, the body is just there. And you have everybody coming by the casket and saying, oh, doesn't he look like himself? They say that in Spanish. You know, dealing with death or, or or going to honor a loved one who has died. Regardless of what we do, regardless of how much we love that person, that person is just not going to respond. Their scepters are gone and um, that's where we start. In Ephesians chapter 2, as we read in our scripture reading, verses 1 to 3, we have this declaration. The declaration that says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them, At one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath." You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Here's the bad news about the good news you realize that there is no good news unless we come to the conclusion that the wages of sin is death. And, that, and, and, and that, that living in sin is really death. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Being dead in our transgressions and sins means that uh, we have no innate capacity to respond. We've replaced that capacity to respond with everything else that takes us away from spiritual life. Some years ago, we were on vacation in Southern California, and uh, we had the the privilege of visiting... um, Uh, the very popular exhibit called Body Worlds, and in some other cities they have body works. And uh, this is, uh, you know, as we went through this exhibit, this uh, individual, this uh, artistic um, anatomical uh, specialist uh, displayed, uh, Dr. Gunther Van Hagen, uh, displays human bodies that he has plasticized and, uh, and, and has, has made sure that every nerve and every, every uh, artery and every vein is visible, and you have a, a, a real interesting view of the human body in a plasticized form, and some of these, some of these are in motion, running, or, or jumping in the air, or even playing basketball, and, and you see every, the skin is removed, and every part of the body is, uh, is being shown and exposed, and, and you marvel at the structure of the human body. There was one thing, though, that we noticed is that the place really had no life? We were staring at plasticized dead people. And even though they looked like they were in the middle of action, there was nothing there. There was no life in them. They were dead. They could they could not respond or think or communicate. Their lifelessness was palpable and there was, where there was emptiness. There was emptiness in the room. The Bible makes it clear that sin dulls our spiritual senses and makes us unresponsible to the promptings of God. But, And this is the beautiful part. You you, you get to verse verse 4, and and you, you see, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up With Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus and what's the purpose of all this in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus it continues for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. God, who is rich in mercy, because of his love for us, has chosen to give us life. This is not the only place where we see this. We see it in John chapter one, verse three. We're referring to Jesus Christ. It says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, catch this, and that life was the light of men. Jesus arrived four days late when Mary and Martha called for him that their brother Lazarus, or his Hebrew name Eliezer, was sick. Jesus arrives, like I mentioned, four days late. Martha meets him. Mary is still grieving back and, at, at the house, and she's not, not uh, probably heard that Jesus is there. But Martha says to him, if you had been there, my brother would would not have died. But I know, she said, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. What a promise. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus counters her by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. This resurrection, in this case, was physical. At the second coming, it will be physical and visible, and it will be the joy of our existence. In the meantime, there's a spiritual revival that God Calls us to. God, who is rich in mercy, because of his love, he has chosen to give us life in Christ Jesus. How does this happen? Turn with me to the Old Testament to Ezekiel chapter 37. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 37. And there in Ezekiel chapter 37, we, uh, we have a story of revival. But first, Ezekiel was a prophet to the captives in Babylon. While Daniel and uh, his friends were in Babylon in the capital city, dealing with the leaders of the country and giving testimony to the power of God to raise up kings, to take down kings, to be in charge of the kingdoms beyond the kingdom in which we live. Ezekiel is with the downtrodden, um, overworked, slaved, Enslaved people who had been taken to Babylon. Now, the best research that we have of where these people went, or where where the uh, Nebuchadnezzar sent these people, is that uh, they were tasked to go on the shores of the Euphrates River, about a hundred plus kilometers southeast of Babylon and on the Euphrates River they were to dig a canal inland into that fertile crescent between the Euphrates River and the Tigris River. And because that is so fertile and and the growing seasons are so good, Uh, In that area, they were supposed to then be able to bring produce and food uh, from that area uh, to the capital cities. So Ezekiel is there. His people are suffering. He's working among these captives. And um, they were really downtrodden. They had lost their land, been ripped out of their, of their possessed land. They had lost their king. They had lost the temple that was their center of worship and, and, and their, their guarantee that with the spilling of blood there would be remission of sins. The holiness of the temple was important to them and their temple was gone. Their identity as a nation was dead. Here, Ezekiel is a messenger of hope to a nation without hope. And so, as we get into the narrative, we have this call of the prophet. The prophet says, verse 1, The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. A valley full of bones. Ankle deep in all sorts of different kinds of bones. Femurs, fibulas, tibias, ulnas, radii, metacarpals, mandibles, skulls, you name it. And as he walks through these, they're clattering with hollowness because they were very dry. And God asks some diagnostic questions. He says, uh, it says here, He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones in the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, catch this, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, anyone of us who has high school science and uh, and has read about what, Bones are made of and stuff like that. You find calcium and you find phosphorus and you'll find this and you'll find that. And uh, some people have even calculated the, the, uh, the value of the, all the chemicals in the human body. And, uh, but, you know, they're separated. They're separated out. Uh, can, son of man, can these bones live? I'd probably pick one up, look through it, see that it's hollow, that there's no moisture, there's no meat in it, there's nothing. And I would conclude that, uh, Lord, uh, I don't think so. That's putting it mildly. My scientific mind would just go in that direction. And then um, Ezekiel says, Oh Lord, you know uh, I don't know how you would feel if you were asked to preach to a bunch of bones I've come close I've come close not here but I've come close <laughs> I remember when I was in college we had a, uh, a professor of homiletics and he took us through all sorts of exercises to exercise our voice and be able to be heard even without a microphone, which I couldn't usually do. Um, Some of my classmates that had squeakier voices uh, had more of a problem than I did, but um, he would have us stand on the top of Kilbourne Hill. Those of you who went to AUC, um, Atlantic Union College might uh, remember Kilbourne Hill, and uh, we would have to stand up on top and read a scripture so that he could understand every word at the bottom of the hill. We had uh, we had a um, a final exam that was between the teacher and the student. It was a Macleanor Astorium that, that seated about 1,200 people. There were these platted, uh, uh these uh, sort of greenish uh, padded uh, theater seats. And, um, and the way he would do this was that he wanted us not to use a microphone. He wanted us to preach a prepared 15-minute sermon and He didn't want us to see him or his expressions. So he went to the back of the auditorium, went up the stairs, went up into the balcony, went to the very last seat and scrunched down, and he hollered from there and said, You can start now. I remember starting my prepared speech. I was planning to get an A in that class and I was going to do everything that I could to make good. About five minutes into my my sermonette, he stands up, he says, I've double-scheduled myself, I didn't realize that I have somebody coming in five minutes to meet me, Uh, why don't you skip to the appeal? I hadn't planned an appeal. And, and I stuttered and said, uh, 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 appeal for what? <laughs> he says, every good sermon has to have an appeal. You have to have an appeal. Go to the appeal because I don't have very much time. And I, I, I remember just shifting gears at living this whole thing with full sincerity and every ounce of piety in my heart, I invited those empty chairs. I made my appeal. Nothing happened. I I wonder how Ezekiel must have felt with that challenge. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Oh, this is the good thing. God never asks us to do something that he doesn't provide, either the message or the wherewithal. And so he provided the sermon. He says, says, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Okay, that's the introduction. Gives a glimpse of where he's going. Here's the result. This is what what God does to bring revival to a people who are dead. He says, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Okay, so let's go through these real quick. First of all, I will attach tendons to you. Well, we know that tendons, we have them at every joint in our body. We have we have tendons that hold uh, together our muscle structure and everything else. It's what holds us together. These are scattered bones. They they have they have no no connectivity and here God says I will put tendons on you in other words I will put connective tissue on you God's first step towards revival of his people is to draw them together to take all the scattered bones that are there and draw them together and connect them one the other and already some of you are singing the little song about the hip bones connect you know that we won't go there I will attach tendons to you I will bring you together number one number two I will make make flesh come upon you you go to any meat market and you look for flesh it is muscle we love Muscles. Um, some like to eat it. Some like to have it. Uh, you know, you, you go to a grocery store, you go to a bookstore, you go to a drugstore where they have this panel of of magazines, and half of them are about health, or more than half are about health. And then maybe half of those that are about health are about these grotesque people making all sorts of gestures to show their musculature. We're obsessed with strength. We're obsessed with power. And here, this message is coming to a people who feel powerless. They're slaves. Their country has been taken away. Their people have been been scattered. God says, I will... I will put tendons on you to bring you together, and I will put flesh upon you, that the strength that you do not have will come from me." Then it says, I will cover you with skin. It's interesting that when Adam and Eve felt naked, after their sin. And God went after them and called them and, why are you hiding? Well, I was naked. Who told you you were naked? In their nakedness, they just could not, they could not feel close to their Creator. But He provided the skin of lands, and the shame of their de- na- nakedness was covered to the church of Laodicea today God gives a diagnosis he says he says you're I know you you're wretched miserable poor blind and naked you think that you have everything and you have nothing I counsel you in your nakedness to buy of me gold tried in the fire and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness might not appear. Covered with Christ's righteousness. So God's idea of revival is to bring us together spiritual tendons, to give us the muscle and the strength that we do not have to cover us with his righteousness so that our filthy rags will not be seen or felt. And then he says, and I will put breath into you. I will put breath into you and you will come to life the Holy Spirit, in our lives. And remember, when, when God originally asked Ezekiel, can these bo- bones live, what was his answer? Oh, Lord, what? You know. Well, now, at the end of this speech, Ezekiel is to tell the bones, then you will know that I am the Lord. Going back to Ephesians chapter two. With all of this, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has raised us up with him to life. And the conclusion of Ephesians chapter two verse 10 is, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepare and had prepared in advance for us to do. What a blessing. What a blessing. He calls us. He calls us to revival, and He calls us to revival by putting, pulling us together. He calls us to revival by recognizing that we have no strength of our own, but that He provides the muscle with which to do His will to do his good works. He gives us the covering of his righteousness so that in his skin all things can be possible. He breathes into us the indwelling presence of God so that when he's in charge, we do his will. And you will know that I am the Lord. In the little book, uh, God's Amazing Grace, page 331, we read, Our acceptance with God is sure only through His beloved Son, and good works are but the result of the working of His sin-pardoning love. We are no, they are no credit to us, and we have nothing accorded to us for our good works, by which we may claim a part in the salvation of our souls. Salvation is God's free gift to the believer, given to him uh, for Christ's sake alone. The troubled soul may find peace through faith in Christ, and his peace will be in proportion to his faith and trust. He cannot present his good works as a plea for the salvation of his soul. So there you have it. We are revived by God in Christ. But what does this have to do as you leave this place? I'm declaring each of you as an Ezekiel. And as you go from this place, you will go to your valley of dry bones or where that might best that be. It could be in your workplace. It can be in your neighborhood. Your valley of dry bones might even be in your family. And dare I say, dare I say it, that your, ba- ba- uh, your valley of dry bones might even be in your church. So, what message do we take from here? What is your message? In the midst of the spiritual death of secularism, we can be brought together in a fellowship, in fellowship with Christ and his people. We can be strengthened to do the work that God has called us to do. We can have inf- an infilling of His Holy Spirit to, to change us from within. And, uh, and, and His righteousness, I skipped the skin, His righteousness. What is your message? What will you take away Today?